Welcome to The Submittal. I'm Hugh Seaton. Today, I'm here with Dustin Burns, VP of Technology at McGowan Gordon. Dustin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Hugh. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you've been doing a bunch of great stuff. Let's talk a little bit about what you do at, at McGowan Gordon, and we can go from there. Yeah. So I'm the VP of Technology, like you said, here at McGowan Gordon. I've been in this role since around 2005, where I oversee all of the strategic uses of technology across the organization, and then also do some industry advocacy, trying to push this whole industry forward. McCown Gordon's a construction management firm based in Kansas City, Missouri, offices in Dallas, and two offices in Kansas as well. And so we were founded in 1999, so a pretty young organization, uh, one that I actually have referred to us as, as digital natives. So technology is in our bloodline, and we love using it and advancing the industry with it. Love it. And actually, you were telling me that you actually were first a, a sor- service provider to McGowan Gordon, and they brought you on. So you've been yeah. kind of helping in this sort of move the industry and move, move the company forward for even longer than you've been there, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. McCown Gordon was a, one of my clients early on. And back then, like I said, they were, you know, four or five year old company at the time and, and grew rapidly and, and needed me full time. And I decided to join the team and, and spend the rest of my career here. Well, today we're going to talk about large language models, the chat GPTs and so on. But I wanted to start with a little bit more context about how you view technology generally, because by now you've seen Ever, you've seen a lot of, of waves and mini waves of things come through. How do you think about technology and construction? You know, when I started in, with tech and construction, a phrase that I use is that it was a joke without a punchline. There really wasn't a lot of technology being used. You know, that was when we were using fax machines and transmittals and things like that. And, and we really identified that the construction is such a collaborative industry that we needed the technology tools to support that same collaboration or enhance that collaboration and move it forward because we're construction managers you know 85 90 percent of the work is done by all of our trade partners and so it's key that we operate well with them and we do what we can to advance their businesses as well for the greater good of the industry and so when we look to technology we look at it how first off when i stepped into technology it's more so of how do i improve people's lives that are in construction. It's hard work. It's long hours. How can we leverage technology so that a construction project manager can make it to their kid's soccer game? How do we leverage technology so that you can get off work early to go to a doctor's appointment, that sort of stuff, and not miss a beat and be able to jump back in and work when and where you need to? And and the environment that we see today post-pandemic is is really kind of like that. And, And so, you know, Leveraging that technology long ago put us in a great position for that we are today and allowing people to, to work flexible. Yeah, I love that. And, and anchoring the way you think about technology in the way people do their jobs collaboratively is a really good word for that. But as you think about new technologies coming in, one of the things a lot of people will do is, it, does a technology have to be something that's construction specific or can we learn things from other industries and, and other use cases? How do you look at that? Yeah, so that that's another piece of my philosophy is that there are several other industries, manufacturing, healthcare, tech companies, that sort of stuff that have seen these exponential productivity increases and, and efficiency increases over time as where 
construction has sort of lagged behind that. And I'll argue that it's that it's picking up now with, with the benefit of technology. But construction is a unique industry, but there are parts of just doing business that are the same across all industries. And so I think that it's important for construction companies to look outside of even just traditional construction applications to what are other industries doing with technology and how could that be ported into the construction business and construction industry. One of the things that people say when you say that, when when I've heard folks say, hey, let's look at banking or manufacturing or whatever, is everyone says, yes, but they don't have to do go to a totally different place with totally new people in a totally unique job that's that's not repeated over and over again like other things might be. When you think like that, that, that can slow you down a little bit, right? That can stop you from saying, okay, I see how this applies. But how do you do that? How do you, you, you know what I mean? Like a way to think of that is to break down what people are at, like what their functions are, what they're actually doing day to day. How do you look at it? Yeah, absolutely. So that is one of the biggest conditions in the construction industry that affects efficiency. And that is this one-off custom prototype for every project. Yeah, but if you really start to dissect and look at those those projects as a whole, I relate this back to kind of like an object oriented programming design, where if you look at and you can break down the macro construction project into micro pieces and look with looking at it through that lens, you can find things that can be repeated from project to project, and so. When you start to identify those, it's important to say, okay, we've identified a piece that can be done on this project. Where does it apply to other projects? And then the goal there is to have an enterprise adoption of those processes that exist inside those projects to make them more efficient while they're still one-off prototypes. Yeah, I really like that. And let's think a little bit about how that relates to something really new, like large language models, the reason we're talking today, right? Like it's happening so fast that you don't really have a choice but to look anywhere you can find insight. And that's not mostly going to be your own industry, whoever you are. So as you think about that, you know, I mean, it's got to be a a kind of a layered approach, right? Is first, what is the tech even doing? And what are other people getting out of it? And what are they, where are they finding issues? But how do you think about that? You know, it, it feels a whole lot like 2010 to me. And why I say that is, Around 2010, the tech industry kind of realized that the $7 trillion plus construction industry might be a good target for technology solutions. And so technology started coming at the construction industry from every angle, and it was shiny object after shiny object. And what we saw occur during that time frame were a ton of point solutions. And so you had data in all these different silos and all these point solutions, and your people are frustrated because... They've got too many apps to jump between. They've got, they don't know where to put this. They don't know where to find that. And so that was around the time also where cloud came out mm-hmm. and, and folks like me that, that were already familiar with, I was running my own cloud in our data center in our office. But the thing is, is that cloud kind of democratized the language around hosted software technology, SaaS. And I think the same thing is, is true with AI. And so AI is not necessarily new. Account Gordon's been using different flavors of AI for several years. Mm -hmm. But what I think is new is this large language model technology and how it is democratizing, again, like cloud did, language and culture around tech. 
which then creates this buzz. I mean, you see how many people signed up for chat GPT. Yeah. It grew faster than any other social media platform in history. And, and so I think that over time, we'll probably see this huge mess of all these different AI type tools. In fact, I think there was a thousand released last month. But then over time, I hope that we move more towards AI platform approach to where it streamlines and, and is applicable to a lot of different types of businesses. I like that you used cloud as an analogy. Because if you remember back then, half of your job was explaining what the cloud even means. What do you mean it's a cloud? What, what do you mean it's a cloud? Well, it's over there. It's in a data center. But what a cloud? What do you I mean? Just that concept of not of a thing not mattering where it physically is was really not so easy to explain to people that grew up with fax machines and pieces of paper and scans and so on. I think there's something similar here, right? Where AI as deep learning that recognizes dog breeds or does all the things that we've got, you know, gotten pretty used to over the last decade or so is meaningfully different from what just came out because of, it's like this, there's an old expression, more is different, where you know, it, the difference between 31 degree water and 33 degree water isn't just a degree of temperature. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just yep. different. And I think that we're still figuring out quite what that means. But the fact that you can go to a chat GPT and it's going to write things for you, original things for you, and then you can tell it to write some code or go write an API call to go find something out for you is just, you know, I don't even know that we have a framework to think of something that's that functional, but still as fundamentally stupid as AI is. Yeah, what do you think? I agree. And, yeah, I agree. And, and what I tell people when I talk to them is that most of the world's population cannot grasp the exponential change that AI is going to create total disruption, several markets, and you know there there going to be jobs taken by AI. I think IBM said they're letting go seventy five hundred people and replacing them with AI. And so I think we're we're past that discussion of well AI is not going to take your job. Obviously there are jobs that AI is not going to take, but the way to be successful with AI is to embrace it, learn how to use it and make yourself more effective. Because the other thing you hear people say all the time is that you may not be replaced by AI, but you could be replaced by somebody that knows how to use AI. And and I, so I think there's a lot of power in that statement because what you're seeing certainly this round of LLMs do is it'll write stuff for you but it won't know what to write, right? Like like it it'll check your code but it doesn't know what code to write. So I think that that what you're saying is it's an augmentation of what people already can do, Absolutely. which I think is really important, especially in an industry like construction, where you're, you know, you're not really paying somebody whatever you're paying them to turn a screw. You're, you're, turning, you're paying them to know how to turn the screw the right amount and what screw to turn and so on. And so, I mean, I'm making a really simple example, but it's the, it's the accumulated intuition and experience that is really hard to write down. So it's really hard to train a model on. But that same person doesn't have to go and write a long report. It can, he or she can just say, here's the details, now write it for me. So suddenly, I think a lot of the crap that people in construction complain about and don't love becomes an awful lot easier and more frictionless. How are you seeing that? Absolutely. So construction specifically, utilization of these large language models. You know, I, I've had folks come to me from our business that, that so our, our approach on it is I want people to use it with caution. We've explained what the caution is. So people are using it carefully. But in construction, how many how much time do you waste writing a delay letter? Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Like that the generative AI I can write 80% of that for you and you patch it in. Our teams internally using AI for code generation. 
AI for code review, AI for code commenting, understanding what someone else's code was that wasn't commented well is a great use of that tool. Something simple, I think, that what we connected on LinkedIn over was I was working with, sitting with my QC team and said, hey, give me a really technical answer or a really technical question you would have that I could throw to AI. And, and one of my team members said, you know, I want to know if this daimonic sealant is compatible with Firestone TPO roofing. And so I said, okay, cool, let's ask. And, and this is an interesting evolution here because I asked ChatGPT first and ChatGPT said, call the manufacturer and talk to their customer service department. And I said, well, that's not really what I was looking for. And I think a day or two later, Google announces that BARD is now connected live to the internet. And so I go to BARD and I ask BARD the same question. However, I fat fingered the name and I put in Demcon 100 instead of Daimonic 100. And BARD returned back to me an answer that said, yes, Demcon 100, which is a product that doesn't exist, is compatible with Firestone TPO roofing. In fact, they work well together and here's all the things you can achieve with it. So I, before I realized I fat figured it, I threw it on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, look how cool this is and the simple use case. And then people started chiming in and like, that's not a real product. And, you know, AI is dumb and all this sort of stuff. And so, so I was like, okay, that's true. But after we had started having that conversation, I went back again a day later than that. And I said, I wonder if this thing learned anything. And so I purposely misspelled it, asked the question again, and this time it changed my Dimcon 100 request to Daimonic 100 and then gave me the answer that, yes, they are both compatible together. So I think that was a, a great demonstration in how AI is going to evolve in a very simple way. But what that really opened up to me was, what, what is the responsibility of us folks in construction with this knowledge and how we interact with AI? Because it's no secret that that seasoned professionals are leaving the industry at a really quick clip. And we have these new folks coming in that we can find because it's really hard to find new talent and get people into the industry. And once we do, there's now a huge knowledge gap. My personal opinion is that AI can help solve that knowledge gap. It may not give that, that brand new individual on site the exact answer, but man, it could get them close. And it could get them thinking, you know, a lot of people go to these large language models and ask, what do I do here? Mm. But if, if people start flipping that over and say, what questions should I ask about this? Then that gives them the opportunity to go into those meetings or whatever and say, here are the things that I think I should need to know about this. And so I think there's an opportunity there to close that knowledge gap for this industry. Yeah, I think there's a lot in what you just said that's really interesting. I want to go back to the point you made and just call it out that you mentioned that that right now you can use ChatGPT or versions thereof to comment code. And for those of you who are listeners that don't play with code a lot, one of the things that people that write software do is they make little comments along the way that explains what this little bunch of code does. And that's really, really important and something a lot of, a lot of developers aren't so great at, certainly younger ones or anyway, various folks. The ability to go in and explain what the code is doing is incredibly helpful for people that actually run businesses. Or in the case of, of, of McCown Gordon, where you're not really a software company, but you write code. 
so you may or may not have a, a big team this this week or this year. I mean, like the point is being able to pull in code or, or look at code that you're that you know maybe a freelancer did for you is just it really opens up the possibility to do things in a different way. That's just you know, your point earlier about changing where people work and you know taking jobs. The flip side is it might make jobs a little easier in some cases because it can it can smooth out some of the the transitions when you're when you're hiring somebody, but also Absolutely. it probably means you need fewer fewer developers, which is a whole other yeah. thing. Yeah, and if you if you think about that for the construction industry, construction is a low fee, high risk industry. Yeah, that ports directly into what construction needs. Construction needs to be able to do more with its shared services groups but with less people. So right. true scalability of an organization. Grow your organization, keep your shared services groups similar or same size because they become more efficient by learning how to leverage these technology tools. Yeah, agreed. And that speaks to the second major point I pulled out of what you said earlier, and that is this idea of knowledge management. You know, I think it was the CIO of Ernst & Young really early, like in, I think it was January, maybe even December, was quoted in an article saying that I see ChatGPT and the, that sort of thing as being an incredible way to, to handle knowledge management. And obviously they're service providers, so knowledge management is important to them. I thought that was really smart because what it's saying is you can put your knowledge in whatever format it's in. Obviously there's some limits to that, but now you have something that can intelligently go and summarize and hunt around for the points that are relevant and pull them into a format you need, whether it's answering a question on the phone or it's writing something that's 200 character or 200 words or 10,000 words, whatever mm -hmm. output you need, that's never existed before, right? This ability to, to integrate, pull together knowledge from daily reports, maybe, or it's you've actually done an interview with somebody, or they've been, they pull something from a Bluebeam-like uh, set of comments, where you're now codifying that and saying, how do you pull it together and answer a question quickly and with high context? There's just nothing has like, been like that before except another human. No. Yeah. I think that it will change the way we interact with information, especially corporate data. You know, the next, the next thing that we're looking for is that overlay of, of chat GPT or another LLM on top of our corporate data warehouse and creating a position where your project executives, your other executives have the ability to interact naturally with the data. Tell me what my most risky project is and give me three potential solutions for it. You know, I think things like that in the future are going to be totally possible. And and it's moving beyond, right, that we have to be able to do this securely. And I think that we're going to be able to do that by bringing, bringing those kind of technologies into your own environment where you have, you get rid of all those privacy concerns and that sort of stuff. But then there also is value in sharing data for an industry too, to help determine trends across a global industry. I, I think there's going to be a, a plethora of options when it comes to data and knowledge. You know, you bring up a couple of points. One of them is, and actually I'll go back to a point you made earlier, which relates to this bringing it in-house. You mentioned that when you first took a shot at, I think it was ChatGPT, it gave you a confident but incorrect answer, which I believe they call hallucinations. That feels to me like something <laughs> that is is pretty solvable. And I know it's, it was one of the first things you heard people talking about in January was like, let's, let's fix, let's figure this out. And just by doing some, some tricks here and there, they've already made it a lot better. But I think that speaks to the difference between replacement and augmentation, right? Where, where if it's going to get 80% there and I want to eyeball it, it's still gotten me 80% there. 
And that means you need four fewer of me to get the same amount of work done. That's pretty amazing. I think also having a human in the loop with anything that has any, and even touches legality, you need a human in the loop. Like the last thing you need is, is, you know, it running away and all of a sudden, what do you mean? What'd you build over there? I think we all saw that recent military example where they were using AI and the, the machine came back and virtually took out the operator because it was blocking it from, from doing its mission. I think well, we're all, we, the human feedback loop is extremely important. You know, we were going to talk about alignment, but let's talk about it for just a minute. What you talk, what you kind of brought up an example of is the fundamental problem with AI is that it's not conscious and it doesn't reflect on itself unless you tell it to. So it might, what you, what it does is it's math that optimizes towards an objective. The objective can be kind of complicated, but it's going to do everything to, to achieve that objective. And if the objective isn't thoughtfully put forth, especially with some guardrails, it can do some pretty crazy stuff on the way. I mean, it's, it's so much like the Sorcerer's Apprentice from, from Disney, right? Where I want some mops mm-hmm. that are going to clean the floor and then I go and you know, have a sandwich. And next thing I know, I've, I'm underwater because the mops kept pulling in water. You know, the, the example people use is what if I made an AI that's optimized to make paper clips and by the time it's done, the whole universe is paper clips. It's a silly example. But the one you're talking about, is it the Air Force or something like that, where mm-hmm. the, it was optimized to, to kill something, I forgot what, and the, the operator said, don't kill that. And it killed the operator so it could kill the other thing. And I'm, I'm vastly oversimplifying, but its objective was to do something and it eliminated something in the way. And what I think happened is they said, well, you can't kill that guy. And it started wreaking havoc somewhere else. Like yep. it, it, this fundamental problem of aligning what, what these powerful tools do with what we want to get done as humans. And that speaks back to construction is if we're going to ask an AI to create something for us, it's going to achieve the objective we give it. But if we don't specify what we want created well enough, it's going to burn a lot of resources and time and still give us stuff we don't want. Or God forbid, we trust it because it's it seems so trustworthy and confident in all its answers. We let it do things that we don't control. And all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's doing things you didn't mean it to. I don't know that it's going to run around killing people. I think that's a little bit hyperbolic. Yeah, a, little, a little out there. But. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, it doesn't need to kill anybody to, to do damage and, and make you wish you'd never seen it before. Oh, no. Yeah, I think there are plenty of examples out there. I go around with, with our legal counsel on this because I think there's a, a lot of utilization for contract review and that sort of stuff that'll be coming through. And then I just read an article the other week where somebody got sued and got in trouble because they were using some legal AI and it went and fabricated cases yeah. to use yeah, yeah. in its research. <laughs> so so I think there's that there's that air of caution around it still, which which is important to understand that it still takes a, a functional expert, so to speak, to operate it well for anything risk-related. It's also really early. Like they had GPT-3 around for two years or so, but you know we're actually commercializing it as of December. You know what I mean? We're seven months mm-hmm. into this. Like you think about the transition that you mentioned earlier from you know on-prem or other places to the cloud, that was a decade. I mean, it took a long time for, for, a lot, for it to be more or less universal. So I think, you know, we're still in the teething stages. We're figuring out what we can trust it with and what we can't and how it can help and how it can't. Fantastic example is code review. It's providing a bunch of stuff that's not really mission critical, but really saves you time. And then later, you know, it'll get a little better and, and it'll be better at data. I think it's, it's 
ability to check whether it's come up with something real is, is this like a second set of functions, which you can do now sometimes, right? You can say, hey, was that answer right? Sometimes it'll come back and say, no, it wasn't right. Equally as confidently as it said the first thing, which is so weird. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't make a mistake. I don't know. What, what, what mistake? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, and then, you know, fast way forward in the next decade or so, when you throw quantum computing and AI together, you then have a system that can fact check itself and make sure that it's making the right decisions. So I think that that's one that's it's even hard to talk about and fathom right now. But, but, but quantum and AI is just going to be a totally different problem. Another level, you might say. Well, yes. that, Dustin, that brings us to kind of where I'll bring this in for landing. When you think about the next three, six, 12 months, where's your head? What are you, what are you guys doing and what are, you, what are you looking to do next? So preparing for disruption. You know, so what we're doing now is, is like I alluded to earlier, is we've got a, you know, a good data warehouse, data lake and all that sort of infrastructure put in place. It's, you know, what are your governance policies around data? How are you classifying data? Uh, what kind of initiatives in your business uh, are you going to take to make sure that you're getting good information? Because I think this is one of those situations and it's so cliche to say garbage in, garbage out. But if you don't have clean data now, leveraging AI is going to be really tough for you. And so we're focused on making sure all of our data is clean. It says what we want it to say. It's factual. Uh, we'll put together an AI task force to really dig in and start to see where do we focus. Because like I said, 1,000 new AI tools released last month. You can just spin yourself into oblivion trying to chase every one of those. So I think it's important to step back to find business goals. Do you want to increase efficiency? Do you want to find new revenue streams? Do you... You know, everything that's out there available in your business, it's going to be identifying what are those key initiatives? Where can AI help? Is it available? Is it something that you have to custom develop or alongside of another deal? Or do you just wait? And, and I think that there's a couple different positions you can take there. Ours is, a, is going to be kind of a little bit leading on it to where, like I said, we're going to we're going to be leveraging it. Well, we're leveraging it now and continue to leverage it more so and figure out how to implement it more into the construction operations piece. That's probably the laggard there is, is getting it in the field, getting in project management hands, and then turning that page to the next phase of, of disruption for the industry where AI becomes a day-to-day -day tool for most everybody. Yeah, really interesting. And you know, it speaks kind of bringing us back full circle, also listening and having conversations like this as we all kind of try different things and talk to each other about what we're seeing. Well, Dustin, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'd love to have you on again as this all evolves because it sounds like you're doing some great stuff. Yeah, you thank you so much for reaching out and pleasure to be here. And thank you so much. Mm -hmm.